Good evening, Skyline League. This is merely Philadelphia Trent here on a special edition of the Skyline podcast. Here to interview, as is tradition, the Skyline champion. We could not have Jake run his own interview. And so, of course, uh, we will take the reins. I am here uh, as the shooting guard, the wingman, trying to point guard the affair. Uh, As always, we have our uh, big man in the paint, Trading punches, D. Rich from Atlanta. How you doing, D. Rich? I'm ready to punch. Yep, we're ready to go. And of course, the man of the hour, the usual point guard, now champion. Oh, Captain, our captain, California Jake. How you doing this evening, Jacob? I'm doing well. It's going to be different being on uh, this side of the interviewer table. Yeah, I know. So some of these questions we've uh, I've asked before because I was uh, the good luck charm on the uh, uh, the color commentary. Uh, of the California Angels during the uh, uh, during the uh, postseason, uh, most specifically, of course, the Skyline uh, Championship. Uh, but uh, per- perhaps people didn't listen. Perhaps people weren't online. Uh, I think more people listen to the pod than listens to uh, the Twitch stream. So we'll start to ask some questions. D. Rich, jump in any time, of course. Jake, did, did were there any actual tears shed? Like, were there tears? Manly crying? Over the Skyline Championship? um, There there were no tears, but after... My heart was pounding throughout all of Game 6 and Game 7. I had had sent Brandon a DM the the night before, after Game 5, and pretty much said, um, did did you lose years off of your life too tonight? I think I lost just as many Game 6 and 7, just... Aguilar pitching the game, the game of his life, handing it off to Vines, getting out of jams there, and, and after Vines gets that pop out to end it, I, I had to, I had to mute my mic for a second. I, I kind of just joy screamed for a bit. Um, after after beating the Cubs, I, I did a little victory lap around my apartment. This one was more of just like a guttural scream. Um, it, it, it just felt good to get that monkey off the back. Is it more relief than anything else? Oh, it's one thousand percent more relief because I think we finally no no one can use that. Oh, he hasn't won a ring argument anymore. Yeah, that argument's bullshit. So they should never use it. it but you're I right. You. And, it, and if this is the team that should have done it, of all the Angels teams, this was by far the best. By far. I agree. Had, that, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. We had good teams going back to '04 when we made the Skyline Cup the first time, and. This last four-year stretch, how it, you can include the, a six-year stretch. We've won the Pacific Division every single year since 2008, 91-plus wins every year. But this was a team that won 112 games. This is a team that had a 3-4-2 ERA in a year where hitting is up, and this is a team that put up 1,000-plus runs. It, it, it kind of felt like destiny after we took Game 7 from the Cubs. Yeah, I—, I, I... That leads into the next question. Was the lowest moment maybe being down five to two in game seven against the Cubs? Yeah, that was definitely the lowest moment. Um, we we had swept through we had swept through the Mariners, which I no team in baseball scares more than Dustin just because of how damn good of a GM he is. You, you can say all you want about getting Alvarado and, and uh, Eggerding and Deering based off whatever development. 
Dustin puts his teams in position to win. He knows what he does well, and he does it well. And that team pitches the lights out. That I did. I did not want to have to face Seattle because in order to beat Seattle, you have to beat uh, Alvarado. You have to beat Deering. You have to beat Price. You have to beat Manzo. And we were lucky to do all of that. And then we win those first two against Chicago. And I was feeling so high. And then we go was, in. Was that the high point? Was that the high point? Being up two zero. The, the high point. The high point was being up 2-0 because we get we, – we hold the Cubs to two runs between games one and two. DLC and Aguilar do their job. And then we go into Chicago. We drop game three. We drop game four. We drop game five. And I was damn near ready to shit myself after losing game five. I was not a happy camper. And then we win the two close ones. Aguilar comes up big in game six. Eight innings, two earned runs. Uh, then we come – and. Then game seven, where Mandler was pitching so well into the sixth inning, and then he gives up a three-run home run to, to Sean King. Sorry, the two-run home run to Sean King, who the lefty, the the lefty with lefty splits, uh, with poor lefty splits against Mandler. So he gives up those three runs. Luis Mejica has an absolute day. I mean, Luis Mejica with with the lefties, he was who needed to show up. Because we started, I think, five of those seven games were started by left-handed starters. Uh, Bird, Mandler, and De La Cruz. And it was Mojica, the, the lone righty atop that lineup, that absolutely torched us. And he was a deserving series MVP. He had two home runs in that game seven. And then in that bottom of the seventh, Luis Noyola runs into an out at third base for the second out of the inning. And then just like that, I think we're screwed. And then McCorkle, of all people, uh, hits a double. Then Lazaro doubles. And, and they, drive in, uh, they drive in two runs right there. And that was huge because McCorkle was a no-show all playoffs. He comes up big. That, that right there, after we tied it at the bottom of the seventh, I thought that this is where we're going to go on and win. It felt like McCorkle, you know, he was, had such a horrible postseason. He had a buck 88, but I felt like every time he got a hit, it was relevant. He hit that grand slam against Seattle. He just was still clutch and still productive. He, he, was, def- he was definitely clutch. Uh, he, he, he got moved up a spot after his series against Seattle because he was hitting but he was hitting three for 12 with two home runs and two walks after that Seattle series. So I bumped him up for that Chicago series. And they just had that rough stretch from about game four of the Cubs series to game three of the Mets series where he just had two hits in total. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, we're there. We're there. Uh, uh, we'll talk later sort of where to put this team in historical perspective, but just a little bit more on the team itself. Uh, is there a guy that you're especially happy for uh, on the Angels to get their first ring or a guy you were happy uh, to see get their second ring, maybe, or whatever it might have been. So I think the guy I'm happiest to get his ring is obviously Aguilar. He, the, when I said earlier this to Team of Destiny, one of the, one of the, there were demons that needed to be exercised. We needed to exercise our Mariners demons. We got that done in four games. We needed to exercise our uh, Chicago Cubs demons. We got that done in seven games. And then the biggest demon of them all was Arturo Aguilar's postseason. I call I call Steve the Aguilar truther because I hate to say it, but he had been right about Aguilar in the postseason. 
over his last four postseasons, uh, over his last uh, five postseasons between 2008 and 2012, his postseason ERA was damn near close to six, which is not good by any stretch. Yeah, he's certainly been the Angels' X factor because back in '04, when the Angels weren't a special team by any means, they when they did make the finals, it was on the back of Aguilar pitching great throughout the postseason. Aguilar pitched eight games in that 2004 postseason. He had a 3-4-2 ERA, 50 innings pitched on top of the 217 he had pitched in in that season. And then this year he, he comes out. Uh, in his first start against Seattle, seven innings, three runs. Against Chicago the first time, seven and a third, one earned. Against Chicago in a massive game six that was an elimination game, eight uh, eight innings, two earned, seven strikeouts. He he had that bump in the road against the Mets, but then game seven, Aguilar, I, for, I think I texted two or three GMs at the beginning of this series that said, I have a gut feeling this is going to come down to game seven, Aguilar, because yeah. the— the way that the scheduling worked out is that Bird had to go game two. It was good. I was I was really hoping that we'd get to see Pons versus Aguilar once or twice in the series, and it didn't happen because of how Pons it just because how the schedule worked out. So Aguilar was slated for three and seven, and he showed up big when it mattered. I, I'm happiest for him. It's and, interesting if you, if folks yeah. go into Aguilar's profile page and change his stats to postseason, he really did up until this year have one good postseason, right? It was only 2004. In 2007, he had a zero ERA, but he only made one start, so you can't get a lot out of that, right? But everything else has really got awful. So this year, by far, his most special postseason, five starts, a 239 ERA, an ERA plus of 201 during the postseason. Just truly fantastic for Arturo Aguilar, who, as we've talked about before in the pod, I think it was D. Rich that brought it up, has been an angel since he was like, you know, before he could drive, right? Like he's been an angel. 16-year-old discovery. February yep. of 1994. He was 16 and a half when he got discovered. So it's coming incredible. up on 20 years in the org. And yep. yep. I almost uh, wish he was retiring. That's the sad thing. <laughs> it, would, it would be more poetic if he just hung him up. Right. Well, uh, and he and if he does, if he does decide to up and retire tomorrow, he is he should be on everyone's 2014 postseason ballot or uh, Hall of Fame ballot. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I would think so. Oh yeah, all time wins leader. Yep. Oh yeah. And, and no, say I what you want about wins. Himself. Say what you wins is a team stat. I'll fight that to the end of time. But you also have to go. You also have to go five innings to get that. And Aguilar. At the age of at the ages of thirty three, thirty four, and thirty five, has led the West in innings pitched each of the last three years. Yeah, he's I, the best best workhorse we've ever had. I think strictly one, from an innings point of view. Yeah, one could. Totally... I know, I know he's starting to go if he starts getting hurt. That's yeah. when I know he's right. he's starting to go. Yeah, I think one could totally ignore the wins and still think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's got more than seventy WAR in his in his. Uh, in his career, it's just he's just incredible. He's got 3, a thousand plus strikeouts. He's going right. to get to three thousand innings, a three point five ERA, a one thirty one ERA plus. Yeah, dude, dude's just a stud. He's he's the best. Led the led the West in innings again this year, which is no big surprise. Um, how about on the hitting side? Were there hitters that you were really surprised by? Oh, there, there's one. Uh, before we get to that, there's one pitcher I want to shout out just because I don't think he's been talked about enough, and that's Adam Bird. I had conversations with both of you 
before the postseason started about who gets the fourth spot in the rotation, either Escobedo or Bird. And I was going back and forth, and I because both are, are good pitchers. Escobedo had the better season. Bird's numbers don't look great, but he still had his normal two-and-a-half, three-war season. And I was debating, okay, do I want to go with who I think is the better pitcher, or do I want to go with the splits? And Seattle did worse against lefties. The Cubs did worse against lefties. The Mets did worse against lefties. So for each of those series, I went with Bird, and Bird showed up big in each of those series. He had uh, eight innings of shutout baseball against the Mariners. He against out- Alvarado, nonetheless. And then he turns around and outduels Pons in game two, goes eight innings, strikes out seven, only gives up three hits. And then in that game six loss, he did everything he needed to. He only he gave up that two run home run to Donnelly in the bot in the bottom of the first, and that was it. That was it for all the damage that was done against Bird and because Pons is Pons, two runs was enough. But yeah. but Adam Adam Bird was my series MVP. Nate Clark deserved it, but Bird was my series MVP. He made four starts postseason, had a two one five ERA. Just really, it, really freaking good. He, he did he did kind of get hit around there by the Cubs, six and a third, five earned, but it, he had three massive postseason starts when it mattered. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was only two and two, but the two wins. A 1-0 ball game and a 2-0 ball game. Right. Against got, Alvarado and Pons. Zero, he got zero <laughs> run support. No, I misspoke. It was not against Alvarado. I think, I think it was against, I don't know, Deering, I think. But I'm uh, not let's sure. Let's see when this was. Two, it was I just Manzo. remember postseason. Postseason Manzo was legit, though. Yeah. Oh, no, I Post-season agree. Postseason Manzo was legit. Yeah, no, we, we can get D. Rich involved in this next question. What about the hitting side? Because I'm continually impressed with guys like Mark Osborne and Chris Robbins. D. Rich will start to swear if he talks about it. How well this team hit from guys that you didn't really expect it from at the beginning of the year. I, Mar- uh, you can talk about pretty much everyone on this team. Everyone hit. Uh, our our end-of-year starting lineup, everyone had at least 15 home runs. That includes Rivera, who was hurt for most of the year. Uh, I mean, you can start with the young guys. Ryan Lazaro, the rookie, had an 819 OPS. He wasn't even on the opening day roster. Um, when when uh, I think it was Aguilar got hurt early, Lazaro became a full-time player. And then by the time Aguilar got back, it was Chris Fox that was the odd man out. Um, speaking of Aguilar, he had three and a half war and 894 OPS mid-year through the year. I think he had an, an OPS north of 1,000. Um yeah, he had an OPS north of 1,000 after going into July, actually. Um, so he was someone that I needed to step up and did. Luis Noyola, deserving position player of the year. Uh, he had an 8,000, or sorry, a 1,018 OPS, 350 batting average. And you can talk about the, uh, the, the, the quote-unquote others. Chris Robbins bouncing back and having a 777 OPS. Mark Osborne coming out of nowhere. With an 853 OPS in in just short of 300 plate appearances, it, it was it was a group effort. Everyone that I put in there performed. Even even Jeremy Reese, whose fielding is sadly starting to go, he put up a, another career year: 312 batting average, a 911 OPS, yeah, 5.2 WAR. The, the, the year Jeremy. the most he's ever had in a career. Yeah, the best year of his life. Everybody did. Um, he he is loving the leadoff spot. I think we all knew this team was going to hit and they were going to win a shitload of games. But to be in that upper echelon of greatest teams ever and to win a ring 
It's the little guys. It's the guy. It's like Mark Osborne. I don't know how the hell this guy came out of nowhere, got 300 plate appearances, and hit a 336. Same goes for Chris Robbins. It just we took an already great team, already maybe the best team on paper, and everything broke their way. It was just I thought they were unstoppable, and the fact they went to seven games twice kind of blows my mind still. Yeah, no. Does that take away? And I'll ask this question to D. Rich. Does that take away a little bit from the one of the best teams ever, Mystiques? The seven games. The seven games. I don't think anyone. No one. I don't think anyone will remember the seven games. They'll they'll see the ring, and that's that's what matters. It definitely takes away from it, though. I'm sorry, but it does. I think it takes away from it a little, but I don't know that it takes away from it a lot. And I got to tell you, I mean, the gold standard, and again, perhaps you guys disagree for me. And again, we talked about this a little bit uh, on on, uh, Twitch after the Game 7. The gold standard of best team ever is the Montreal Expos from 2001. Correct. Um, and I mean, this is a team that I've said before could have five Hall of Famers on it. I still think that is possible. I'm not sure that it's going to happen because I don't think that uh, guys like Rob are going to get there. I don't think they're going to be Hall of Famers. Um, but, you know, it's at least arguable that they had, you know, five Hall of Famers on this team. Um, <clears throat> uh, but if you go player by player in Skyline history, champions. Uh, it, one could make a case that at almost every position, the ang- Angels have a, a pretty close to equivalent, right? Like, I totally. I think the Angels are just on paper flat out better than the Expos were. Yeah, yeah. No, I think but that that is arguable. Yeah, it's all relative to the the era. And in '01, we didn't have very many good teams because we just didn't have time to build them. Right. Um, Two thousand one. Eric project. Rab was insane right nine war 962 ops nearly as many walks as strikeouts and he and he missed uh looks like two weeks of the season yeah he was he was just a fantastic he was one of those players that uh wasn't consistent but when he was good for those couple of years i mean he was so good because in 2002 he had had those 7.8 war after his 9.1 war a year in 2001. So I, mean, I think he can point to a, a four year that's really a five year stretch because he lost 2003 of 2001, 2002, 2004, and 2005 of Eric Rabb just being the the best second baseman in baseball. Right. Well, you can you could say best player. Uh, that stretch right. is is really good, and it's all relative to the to the era. Um, I think if you threw the Angels back in 01, the same team. They'd win 120 games, probably. Yeah. The teams just weren't as good. They weren't as refined. Um, now, in 2013, we have some good baseball teams that are well-built, and they've been built for 10 years. Um, yep. It's hard to say. It's really hard to compare. It's like comparing Wilt to LeBron, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's it's easier to compare, uh, obviously, within the same era. Um, uh Okay, Jake. Well, we wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't be fair if we didn't talk a little bit about moving forward. What happens to the Angels? This team doesn't look to have lost a lot going into 2014. Here, Frichtel's gone. We know now that he was signed by the uh, flying fucktard Miami Marlins, um, and that looks to be about it. Is there anything I'm missing there? That's it. It's just Frichtel that's gone. Yeah. We uh, we resign. We found the money to resign Clark, 
Losing Fertil is going to hurt because he was he was very good last year. He was someone that we picked up pretty much off the scrap heap after uh, midway through that 2012 season, and no one seemed to want him. Yeah, the guy couldn't he, stay on the field. Yeah, he he had those injury woes in Milwaukee where he got. I mean, you look at you just look at his injury history. It's just so much from 2010, so much from 2011, and it's not about that Cali. I don't know. I honestly do not know what it is with the Cali training staff. Maybe it's just that we have a better trainer. I, I don't know what it is. Um, and to those of you saying, oh, you just inherited him, all that, no, I got a new trainer. Well, no, Frickdale played under two trainers, so I don't know what it was. But Frickdale showed know. up. It's, he was... It's he really weird was, that we've seen... Yeah. We've seen guys like Frickdale. We even saw Mike Gomez get traded and immediately have a career year and games played. And same goes for Bonehead in Montreal. Sometimes a change of scenery just seems to get these guys to play a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of this team comes back. So so we'll have some fun here. If uh, D. Rich has been leading the train from the start that this team really just excelled. Everybody played above their heads a little bit. How many wins does that cost the Angels going into 2014? I mean, the Mariners aren't going anywhere. You know, uh, Eggerding I... is Eggerding. Yeah. I swear to God, if Eggerding starts the year in AAA, I'm gonna have. He won't. Don't worry. <laughs> I know. I this. I honestly think that it's gonna come down to these these same type of guys. Ferkel was mainly a a second baseman DH. I think we have uh, competent replacements either between the young guy John Taylor, uh, Ryan Lazaro now being a, a full time DH. I th- the biggest difference is gonna be whether or not Osborne and, and Robbins can do. Do have ninety percent of the production they had last year? Because yeah. if I think if if Osborne can can OPS around eight hundred, or if Robbins can OPS around seven fifty while still offering uh, net uh, net neutral defense, I think this is a team that that wins the seventh their that wins their seventh straight Pacific title. After twenty fourteen, you, your guess is as good as mine. Because well, right. That, we- Noyola opts out after this year. McCorkle opts out after this year. Reese is due for free agency. Salmonen's due for free agency. Robbins and Osborne are due for free agency. And the biggest of them all, Andrew De La Cruz, is due for free agency. Yeah. I mean, the bill comes due in 2015. So for those of you angel haters out there, you only have to wait one more year before this team really has some tough decisions to make because they're not going to be able to reassign all those guys. I mean, there's just no way. Um, but in 2014, this is still largely the same team. So anybody willing to take the over? If I set the over under at 110 wins, I take I the would, under. I would take the under. Um, even if they got better, I would still take the under. Just what about 105 wins? I think that's probably a closer number. I'll take under, but uh, they'll win around 100 games in my eyes. I think this team is great. They should be the favorites going forward. Um, to say that. I don't want to say I'm leading a charge. They overperformed because they really didn't overperform that much. Just you had, could make the argument that based on Pythagorean record, you can make the argument that this team underperformed. I that that is an argument you could make, but I'm not going to buy it. Uh, the Angels won a lot of ridiculous blowout games this year, and we, we see did. that. Yeah, I mean, God, how many times you guys scored 20 runs this year? Uh, let's bunch. see. We put up 27 against San Francisco there in September. We put up 41 in a three-game stretch. We uh, th- this team knew how to score runs. Put up yeah. 16 against Oakland. 
16 yeah. against Atlanta. Put up 16 and 11 in back-to-back games against Atlanta. Yeah, you guys didn't play many close games this year. Um, I know the, the run differential speaks for itself, but I don't know. That's <laughs> I, I don't think you could say that they underperformed because I don't think all innings are created equally, I guess. So, no. so, so, so uh, D rich is in at about a hundred ga- hundred wins. I like this team a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm really struggling at my own over under of 105. Jake, do you have a comment in here at all? I think this team lands about 103. I think the addition, I think Seattle got is stronger this year. I still don't, still don't understand the Manzo deal, but I guess if he wasn't going to resign, I get that. Eggerding is legit. He's going to fill in there, and that one through four there in Seattle is going to be Alvarado, Deering, Price, Eggerding. We went six and six against them last year in the regular season. It might have been five and seven. No, it was uh, it was six and six. I think that team's just as good, and I think that that the bad teams around the league got a little better. Outside of Montreal, who took two of three from this Jangles, I do owe you a cookie for that. Um, but I think that. Just variance is going to step in and probably knock us down from 112 to probably about 102, 103. Yeah, I think that's a safe. Which I still think is good enough for first in the Pacific. Yep. I hope so. As is immediately obvious to uh, anyone who's been listening this long, uh, Jake could talk about the Angels for forever. and uh, we don't want to uh, lose all of our listenership uh, because of one postseason uh, celebratory uh, Skyline Champion pod. So, uh, D. Rich, you have anything else for Jake or no? I actually do. Um, I'm ready. I know. Yeah. God, you just you're making me feel bad for boring the listeners now. But um, the Angels have been good for a long time. Uh, you talk about 04. You've been good since 03. You guys were decent back then, but then uh, really the last six years became a powerhouse. It's 08, 07, kind of when Noyola got on the scene, all of a sudden this team exploded. Um, would you call the Noyola deal the turning point for the Angels? What is, what's no. the moment? What's the, the moment that transcended you guys from good to legendary? The moment that transcended it was De La Cruz getting that scouting bump. Even in, even in 2008, I didn't think that team was, was great. Um, 07, we, we got smoked in the first round by the Mariners because we couldn't figure out how to hit a left-handed batter to, to save our life. 2008 comes along. Uh, Earwood had the best year he was going to have with us. Kim had his year. Um, Noella, 22-year-old stud, had, a, had an 800 OPS. And, and we made a run to the a Skyline Cup that you could say that we pretty much didn't deserve to make with uh, with that legendary series against Colorado. 2009, Earwood came back to earth. Uh, no Nate Riley anymore, which was a or sorry, we did have Nate Riley, and I think finally getting rid of Riley Earwood and the combination of De La Cruz coming into his own. That's the difference between winning 90 games and winning the 100 103 that we've been averaging over the last four years. Yeah, I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head, uh, particularly with getting Earwood and Riley out of there. I used to say that this Angels team was like the most talented puzzle pieces that just didn't quite fit. Um, all these home runs, all these walks, but it didn't work together. No one ever scored runs. Yeah, that pretends that Earwood and Riley were talented. However, I'm not even sure oh. I buy that. Oh, Ear- Mike it. Yearwood. Mike Yearwood was a ta- is still a talented baseball. Player. He had two WAR last year. I mean, he's. Yeah. I think he he gets this shtick for for not being a good player, 
because he had these he had these three bad years in Kansas City in the early 2010s. I am but mostly he, kidding. But it, yeah. your point but is well. He was also someone mostly. that that had 100 home runs in three straight years, led the led the West in walks in two of three years. But between 2006 and 2008, Mike Hayward was one of the best players in baseball. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I, yeah, I, I wanted fun. him to be good. I wanted him to fit, and him and, and Riley and all that just didn't mesh. So we made the decision to, to get rid of him. That was 2010. That was Yearwood's final year. And yeah, I now think your making, team doesn't strike out, and everything changed. No, that, that team doesn't strike out, and that was the same time we got Reese to fill the first base hole. Um, and the combination of Aguilar and Totten and Bird and DLC and just Knowing that I have guys at the top of the rotation that I can trust to go six, seven innings day in, day out. Deerich, you're a guy that I know you, you're just like, okay, just get your four pitchers. You just need four pitchers come postseason time, and I'm, I want five guys who I know can go out there and win me a baseball game. Yeah, why? You won the division by 16 games. Why do you need that fifth guy? Because I'm, because <laughs> I'm not going to win the division by 15 games any every year. If this offense scores 800 runs instead of a thousand runs, I still want to have four pitchers go out. I mean, I had four of these starters had a sub four ERA, and then there was Bird who showed up big in the postseason. It, it gives you options. Yeah, I'm. You're not. You're not wrong. Uh, anyone can get hurt. Um, it is. It's just weird seeing Escobedo bench in the playoffs. It's a weird thing to see. And I, I would I wouldn't argue that he got benched. I'd say that he got put into that more important role. He he became the immediate setup man, and he and did you know not what? give up. Did not give up an earned run. Exactly. Yeah. So so we we talk about the Angels, how fucking great this team is. Everyone's great except for like a couple guys, like the Osborne and Robbins. They're they're the question marks of the team. They both become great. Everyone else is just great. They go to the playoffs, win 112 games. In the playoffs, Escobedo doesn't give up a run. Adam Bird is unbelievable. 214 ERA. De La Cruz has a lower ERA than that. De La Cruz has an ERA of a buck sixty. And Aguilar, man, what a great run for him. Despite the best team and all that shit breaking right, everybody having good postseasons, you guys barely won. And it 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 just shows how fucking hard it is to win a ring. Yeah, one thing we have not one thing we have not talked about yet that deserves to be mentioned is the New York Mets. Were you rooting? Did you have rooting interest uh, watching your own team play in the West on the East Side? Were you were you anxious to play to you know Montreal? Were you hoping for upsets there? Were you always thinking it was going to be you know somebody from uh, somebody from the top of the division? Oh, I called. I, I think I called the Mets preseason. I called the Mets midseason. Again, it's it's because they can pitch. They have they have six guys. You, you could say seven guys and go out there and start a game. And this is the same reason I think that you need pitching because Gregorio Castillo gets hurt. So they have to throw out John Millett, who had a great start, who did exactly what they needed him to do. You could have thrown out Gabriel Juarez. You, you could have thrown out Mike Showers. They, they had seven guys that could start you a postseason baseball game and you wouldn't feel terrible about it. Mind you, uh, we the the biggest trade I think that we made, Nate Clark, um, who was the series MVP, we got him from the Mets for, for Fox and Tipsword. Tipsword had eight hits, all singles. Uh, hated, hated facing him whenever we had a lefty on the mound. 
Um, Chris Fox was three for nine, had had that big triple in game nine of game seven. If there were, if we were at a point where we were up four or five runs in any of these games, I would have felt okay with rooting for Tips or rooting for Fox. But with what four of these games being a one-run game, there there was no room for for rooting interest outside of the Angels. And it was interesting in Game One, the two other right-handed relievers for uh, uh, for the Angels, Crum uh, uh, Whitey Sucked and Jefferson. Ass went out and gave up two earned runs each in an inning each. And uh, and so Escobedo coming in and being the shutdown guy as a righty out of the bullpen was really sort of a big deal. He made a couple of key appearances late in that uh, uh, Skyline Cup series. So uh, really they, interesting the way it worked there out. Were, there were only six pitchers that pitched from games two to game seven. Only six. Each of the, five, each of the four starters, Escobedo and Vines. That was it. No yep. other middle relievers, nothing. It was the starters right to the bullpen. Yep, that's baseball, baby. Yep, that's how it works. If you don't All like right. playing that way, too bad. The Mets are going to make you. Yep, exactly. It's kind of well, crazy. They, that, yeah. that seven-game series, we talked, the Angels had the best offense ever. They had 42 hits in seven games. Yep. So they never scored what, more than... That is what the Mets do. No, uh, Frichtel, was the only, Frichtel and Loyola were the only two to get on base at better than a 300 clip. Nate Clark only had five hits. Mind you, three of those left the ballpark, which were huge. Jeremy Reese got held to a sub-200 batting average. Juan Aguilar, OPS, worse than 300 in the series. That is a legit pitching staff led by the greatest pitcher in Sky history, Ernesto Pons. Yeah, Ernesto okay. Pons had a sub-1 postseason ERA. <laughs> that guy's postseason numbers are off postseason starts. He had 16 strikeouts against the Marlins. That yeah. should Man. not be possible. He owns Miami every. Sucks. <laughs> he owns he owns every postseason record imaginable, and you wonder why. It's because he does that. Yep, yep. All right, are we done uh, gushing about the uh, 2013 Angels? I've got one more knife to twist, and I don't uh. feel good doing it. But at the same time, I do. Uh, San Francisco, Matt. Thank you for Escobedo. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the, the three biggest pieces of this pitching staff, Deerich asked me earlier, uh, we were talking about the potty, he was talking like, okay, so uh, we're going to have to talk about the, the, the luck portion of this, so I'll, I'll bring it up. Uh, Bird, Escobedo, Mandler, or not Bird, uh, De La Cruz, Escobedo, Mandler, all forms of luck. De La Cruz had two massive scouting boosts. He was a fifth-round pick in 2007. Mandler was a 12th round pick in 2008, and we see where he is now. And then Escobedo was an international free agent who signed with San Francisco and then, due to some contract snafu, ended up was granted free agency and then signed a deal with the Angels for a $3 million yeah. bonus. Unbelievable. Um, I missed that on Escobedo both times. First, when he became as a free agent, I offered him a big signing bonus for just minor league, but Matt offered him. Guaranteed money if he's promoted within 30 days. He took that. Matt forgot about the 30-day rule and just he walked. It's uh, makes me sick. Well, yeah, that and a big thanks to Cincinnati for Noyola. So you know, oh, we could so we could but we could talk about the this uh, the Cincy outfield that could be forever. Right between him, uh, Galvez in Seattle, and some form of Luciani Mario, whatever. If he drafted Souders instead of mm -hmm. Esparza or uh, whatever the hell Reds. it was. Enough uh, Reds. 
All right, we'll move on. All right, one of the things that we need to talk about because we can't just inflate Jake's ego any more than it already was inflated when I he finally can't inflate it anymore at this point. But you yeah, know, it's about to pop as it is. Is I think we need to talk some trades, gentlemen, because it's been a big trade front. Ooh. So I'm going to try to go through some of these a little bit. First, I'd like to talk about the North. First, we're going to start in the North, which at last year's postseason preview pod i called the sexiest division in the sky if not the best um and uh we'll start right here with toronto sending murdoch akbar to the baltimore orioles for john howell who we'll talk about nate denovan who's a triple double a pitcher who looks pretty good two picks okay uh you guys think that was an overpay that was on slack not all that long ago that an overpay for murdoch akbar uh my gut told me it was an overpay um Akbar's fantastic, but that contract's a little scary, and he just hasn't quite been himself lately. I don't know. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he goes back to being perfect, but wasn't all that special last year. He's on the books for five more years. Uh, not that the contract's too big. So I thought it was a slight overpay, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing because Baltimore, it looks like he's trying to win right now. Um, whether or not you think that's the right call. They were trying to win right now. You need a closer. It's okay. I'm okay with it. I did not hate this trade. Uh, Baltimore has a plethora of pitching talent. They can they can afford to move one of those guys, just like Toronto a couple years ago. And they needed that that they needed that back end guy, Akbar. Yeah, it would have been nice to to maybe get some retention on that deal, just as a sort of you know just in case Akbar does crap himself, but. The picks are whatever. Of course, it, it's second round picks, so of course it's it's meaningful in that sense. It's a, but it's a third and a fourth. Or it's a so. third and a fourth. So at that point, okay, so you're giving up probably a what could, a best case scenario, someone that immediately starts as a top ten prospect in your system, maybe someone else that starts as top fifteen. Right. I don't think it's it's that bad. Nate Denovan is going to be good, um, and I'm not huge on John Howell. I think he's going to be a platoon guy. I think he, I think he looks very, very similar to Mark Osborne. So to give up that for a closure that, yeah, he, he, he was bad last year, but you look at what Akbar, if you're a believer in trends, he has really good, uh, odd number of years and really bad, even number of years. So yeah, if, man, if you, I don't know if you believe in, yeah, I kind of see I, the I prospect as opposite. I, I see it opposite. I don't think Denovan's going to be, very good. Um, he's just kind of fallen consistently for like the last three years. Uh, I'm not really a fan, but John Howe, I, I like quite a bit. Um, one of those guys is a victim to having a low OSA overall. You know, I think most people have him at 45 overall, 50 potential, something like that. He's a righty. You can hit righties and lefties, play two positions. He's got a lot going for him. Yeah, no, I'm going to split the difference between you guys. I I think I might be the most positive about this trade from a Baltimore perspective because I don't really like either of these guys. I don't really love John Howell, and I don't really like Nate Denovan. Now, part of that might be because I've just conditioned myself to not like no-movement pitchers or low-movement pitchers, and that's Nate Denovan. He's 45-50 movement. And that just wouldn't work in it wouldn't work in, in Camden. Baltimore. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to work much better in Toronto, and that brings me to Murdoch Akbar who was really not very good in Toronto and very, very good in Montreal. That, that worries me a little bit sending him to Camden yards, but yeah, in any of it, the first thing 
if you think about Akbar and you think about Montreal, everybody pitches good in Montreal. Um, you can look at his bat. It's Kobe super low. Kobe became a pitcher of the year candidate in, in Montreal. He's a 250 BABIP guy his whole career. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is. Yeah. It shouldn't be. It's interesting. All right. Elsewhere in the North, after that, Chris Meacham in a just straight-up salary dump is now a Chicago White Sox sent by Boston to Chicago. And I admit that confused me for roughly in the neighborhood of an hour and 15 minutes until Andy Allen got sent from the Montreal Expos for a dollar, perhaps the same dollar, to the Boston Red Sox. Lots of trading in the north. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention the exotic fruit and surprise wheel of artisan cheese that was also sent as part of this trade. I love the artisan cheese. the, The finest meats and cheeses available. But... Andy Allen, now a Boston Red Sox. This is a guy that was signed last year to one of the biggest contracts in Sky history. And he's going to start 2014 on his third team in that stretch. What do you think of Allen as a Red Sox, Jake? I don't know what to make of the trade. It, the the Meacham dump I get, I, I don't. Uh, a third and a and a fourth is whatever. It's it's a decent haul, but at the same time, it's a third, a sixth, and a twelfth. It's, it's huge. Just so you know, a third, a sixth, and a twelfth. I thought I, I think Meacham's doesn't need to be a dump. Um, he was productive last year. You, you made you made contract. you made the you made the sale. Stop selling. What he was it, fine you, you already, last you year. Already trade, you already traded him. He's fine. Andy He's Allen, an expiring I, contract. That matters. I don't think that's uh I'm sure he could have dumped him for less to a lot of teams. Andy Allen was just so bad last year, whether that's Philly. and I mean, he got babbipped to death in Philly. He got babbipped to death in Colorado. He's a neutral guy. He's going to give up his share of home runs. He gave up 30 last year, including nine in Montreal and nine starts, which is just unheard of. He was still a two-and-a-half war guy with a really good – with, a I think, an underrated defense there in Boston between Cressman – Eric Everett, uh, Alan Bush was a was a plus defender last year in in uh, limited sky action. So I think with that defense on the infield plus Dunn and Cochran and Butcherco in the outfield, I think the numbers are going to get better for Allen. He's not going to he's not going to be the five or six war guy that we saw in Pittsburgh or even the five war guy that we saw in Colorado. I just don't see that happening with Andy Allen. We can get to three and a half, four war. Yeah, I think that's within the realm of possibility. The biggest thing will be whether or not his strikeouts can get back up because he was at nine and a half Ks per nine down from 11 in 2011 and 2012. That's the biggest difference right there. Yeah, that D- is the scary thing. D-Rich. Um, Go ahead, D-Rich. I'm pretty optimistic about Allen. Um, we're talking about ballparks, where he came from, where he was. And then you got to think about Fenway, which is about the most polarizing park you could ever have. Uh, pretty easy to hit home runs if you're right-handed really hard if you're left-handed uh, that works in Allen's favor here just strictly talking about the home run ball he's a right-hander he's good against righties and uh do I think he's overpaid hell yeah I think he can I it wouldn't shock me if he was five war guy um I just have a dev report for November he's on the up which uh shocked me a bit but seeing positive development even if it's from just my scout that's a really good sign. Tells me he's not going to get a, a freak velocity drop coming up soon. 
All right, so, hi- hypothetical trade here. So let's say that before Boston made the move with the White Sox, Boston sends Meacham to Montreal for Andy Allen. Does that does, is that a deal that makes sense on both sides? Just straight up, Meacham for Andy Allen. Would that have been a trade that neither side says no to, neither side says yes to? I I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think Jangles would do it. Um, why would Jangles do that deal if he could? If he if he thinks he has another shooter for a dollar, then of course you just take it as a right. dump. I mean, do you think? I mean, I, then again, you also if if you get Meacham, that's something that you can then try to trade away. You right. can't I trade think, away a dollar. I think the problem is Meacham now makes pretty good money, and the key here is that Montreal had to get money off the books. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think Meacham's worth a lot, if anything, but. Because now he's being paid, right? So he's an expiring deal, right? But Montreal doesn't want him. Montreal's horrible. Uh, they don't need anybody. They just want less money possible. So right. for some teams, Meacham could be something. Um, he'll probably do pretty well in Chicago. Doesn't make any sense. So right. if he could dump him for a dollar, absolutely, Jangles would pick a dollar over Meacham. Yeah. That was just merely the appetizer in the in the North, folks. Because later. We'll do all this trade at once. Toronto sends Dave Bakey, majors. Javier Castillo, first baseman. Alfredo Andrade. Nick James, double A, who's now going to start in the majors for Montreal. Aaron Dove, who's on the DL, but looks like a pretty good pitching prospect. Albert DeJesus, who's a high A guy. Two, Montreal. Toronto sends those guys to Montreal. For Juan Gamgora, Alex Pena, Juan Castillo, and Nehemiah Robinson. Castillo, 30% retained. Holy shit. D. Rich, you go first. Your oh, reactions. Man. Oh, man. Uh, we talked about this last night. I think it's the weirdest trade I've ever seen. Um, what really made this weird is the next trade we'll get to. I don't know if you want to cover that now. Right. I well, we, we can't. Well, we can, right? Then later, Toronto trades Gamgora, David Royball, a uh, outfield prospect in low A ball, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. Toronto trading specs always gets on my radar because it never happens uh, to San Diego for nothing for a pocket lint and a quarter. The only thing with Toronto there that bothers me is, is the, is the prospect. They have draft picks at the wazoo. They still have the most draft picks in. They have more than New York. There's no mm-hmm. way that's true. They have more than the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Uh I mean, he's just a draft pick whore. I believe yeah. as of as of earlier today, I, I want to make sure that I that I'm it was saying 50. this correct. It yeah, he 50. has he still has fifty draft picks. Holy shit! That's with the fourth, the fifth, and sixth headed to San Diego. He's wow. got fifty draft picks. The Yankees only have forty-eight. Yep. Um, and the only other team with forty plus are now San Diego and Minnesota. I mean, My the biggest God. difference there is the slot picks. You know that the we know that the Yankees have three seconds and. And four thirds. Toronto yeah, have, doesn't have that. Toronto right. has well, actually, three seconds. No, two seconds, and uh, a supplemental third to go along with two fourths and four fifths. So they still have the slot picks. Toronto just collects draft picks. They're uh, incredible. So a couple things I hate about this trade. Um, <laughs> number one, um, this is a salary dump strictly from Montreal's perspective. We all get that. They cut like. Fuck, what is that? Like seventy million dollars in salary in this deal? I, th- I don't like think I don't think Pena is quite that much. Nehemiah Robinson's twenty. Does Castillo make thirty? 
Yeah, Steel uh, makes, makes twenty three. But Gamgora yeah, so is not... going to make twenty three soon. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So with Gamgora, it's was, just was there a we knew everyone and their mother knew that Gamgora extension was going to be bad the moment Jangle signed into it. Yeah. Everyone. I remember when Gamgora was a pretty darn good player. Hell, now he's not that far removed from being really good. Right. I mean, I don't know. Part of me thinks that Jangles got screwed a little bit here by the system because he signed Gumgora and then Gumgora sucked, right? That's uh, his own damn fault for signing him to the extension in the first place. I'll, I will say that now. No, I, he, I don't necessarily he was, expi- he was an expiring deal that he could have moved when he was making $8.5 million or $10 million in 2013, and he had suitors for him. Uh, even after when he had... I mean, like you look, he had a poor twenty. He had a good twenty eleven, and then a poor twenty twelve, and he still signs him to that extension at the beginning of twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad all the way around. Um, his his ratings actually haven't dipped all that much, a little bit, but uh, not like he had a super severe random drop off. This was coming, but man, it's the whole. So Pena is an asset, a really good asset. That was was the most confusing part of this deal to me. Right. Well, and again, as I look at this, like Nehemiah Robinson, does he have use at all? Yes, he does. Because I was looking at this and I was like, boy, if I could afford as the Phillies GM to take Robinson, is that a risk worth taking? Like he hasn't been all that long removed from useful. I think you could th- make him an everyday, either second or third baseman, to feel good about it. Right. I, don't, I think you I feel think okay. I think there's a chance he's all right. Right. And so, he's an expiring contract, so right. who cares? I would have, you know, I was trying to get Pena a little bit, and I would have gladly taken Rod Rodinson. Gom Gore, on the other hand, yeah, that's a different story. Well, but exactly. The thing is, that's weird. Is so Montreal made this trade with Toronto, and Montreal knew full well that Gom Gore was getting flipped immediately to uh to san diego so it it baffles me that so okay, okay. amin is essentially the middleman here right and uh it kind of baffles me that sorry i got distracted on slack a bit uh baffles me that he couldn't have found a different middleman um Essentially, all you need is you need to somehow, if you're Montreal, put together value that's equivalent to David Royball and a couple of shitty picks. Now, Royball is a great spec, but there has to be something in this organization that you could get that's worth something, right? Toronto's, you mean? I'm talking about Montreal specifically, because Montreal does not have, they can't give Gomgora and Royball to San Diego. They just don't have a great prospect. That's right. the issue. It It blows my mind that the only way to accumulate value, and remember, you only need Roy Ball value. You don't need anything crazy. Was to give up Pena, a top three catcher on a great contract who's 23, and Castillo, a top 10 hitter. Um, those guys are great. They are worth something. If you want to dump Gamgura, hell, fucking maybe start by trading Castillo. Uh, you get a bunch of prospects in return. You could package some of those guys. Probably not all, but some of those guys with Gamgora and San Diego or Arizona, one of those teams will take it. Uh, there was just so many ways to get rid of Gamgora that didn't include getting rid of Pena and Castillo. Uh, kind of crazy that he wanted to take back major league players when he's trying to rebuild. Doesn't add up at all. 
I think that's my biggest criticism is that Montreal has effectively, you know, by the time we're done talking about all of this, sold away his entire team. And what is now it? that we mentioned that, Dave Bakey is also on the move, and right. we'll get to that in a what, second. What is, he was what is, what is just he recently to, traded. What does Jangles have to show for it in minor league value? Near as I can say, tell, nothing. Zero. Zero. Right. Right. Absolute, absolutely nothing. According to OSA, and this does not include people that are just about to get traded away, um, because two of these four are just about to get traded away. Um, four players. This includes relievers. Four players of 50-plus pot from OSA. Saulnier, who is about to be moved. Aaron Dove, who is about to be moved. Aaron Foley in low A. And Nick James in triple A. Um, James I like. J- James I do like. Uh, OSA is a little higher on him than my scout. He had a, he had a poor year in triple A. Good year in double A. But there's nothing to show. And yeah. it's not like he's loaded in this draft class because, oh, what do you know? He only has 25 draft picks this upcoming year. Yeah, right. this is the worst team if you want to just talk whole system, whole future, um, there are teams that might be worse, win less games, but this is by far the worst franchise right now. Oh, and just remember it, that Nate Purdue is making $39 million a year for each of the next three years. Yeah, yeah. have fun with that, $120 million. So, yep. So he does these trades to cut all these salary. Um, okay. Yet he's still stuck retaining salary for some of these guys. It doesn't really add up to me. Well, near as um, I can tell, the only one is uh, the only one is Castillo. So, yeah, but if you're gonna retain on Castillo and you're willing to, and he's gonna end up retaining on Bakey, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. I've that never... guy's worth a lot. Right. Castillo making twelve million dollars a year, or probably fifteen. He's on the hook for he's on the hook for seven in is, fourteen, and he's on the hook for seven million it, in fourteen and fifteen. Is a hell of an asset, though. But Man, Rich has a point, right? Yeah, no, you're right. That's really good. And Pena, right. fuck, imagine if he just put. Just sold Pena without attaching them to these. I mean, the, these contracts. parts, these parts separately sell for a lot more than they are together. I mean, at this right. point, why not hold on to Robinson in 2014? Why not I, Gamgora? I can understand is a is a massive negative asset. You you you, you attach what you need to to get rid of Gamgora. But, but what's Robinson, the rush either? Exactly. You you've got all off season Robinson. You can you can wait it out. Hold on to that twenty million. You'll be able to move an expiring deal. If you have to eat half of that, you eat half of it. But Fuck, forget about million, this off season. Think about like down the road. Why not just? What if you just kept Gomgora's contracts, traded Pena and Castillo? All of a sudden, you have all these juicy prospects, a nice farm, and you can compete when Gomgora's contracts off the books. I would put it this way: there are lots of ways to rebuild. We have discussed amongst the three of us: Cleveland rebuild versus. Boston retool versus Minnesota rebuild versus Colorado's rebuild. This is and look at what Baltimore did. This Baltimore is the, had a massive sell-off, and look at where they are now. The, this is the wrong way to rebuild. You don't rebuild this way. You got to sell guys off individually, not in groups. It's just not the right way to do it because you end up eating up all of your all of your value by combining assets. Um, but in any event, it's interesting. Uh, Toronto then traded again, still in the north. We're almost done. Toronto then traded Dan Haynes to the Minnesota Twins for two A-level prospects and a second-round pick. Dan Haynes is now a twin. Comments, Jake. This is the the one time every two months we see a Sly pop out of the woodwork to make a trade. I two think months last in trade real was... life, every two seasons. Yes. Thing, right? Yes. Um, 
I mean, the you can count the Joe Zuniga trade last year if you want to. I don't. The last trade he made was Jeremy Reese in, in 2010. If someone wants to tell me that I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But that's the last sly trade I can think of. He he makes he makes a big moves. He he likes to build from within. And this was the year that he's got 90 million on his books this year. It goes all the way down to 45 next year because this is the last year of Wingard's deal. Jose Rosales, Greg Williams, Gertler, Garrity, Catalfamo, uh, they're all free agents next year. And I wouldn't even call a, the Minnesota a rebuild. It's kind of like a toddler playing with Tinker Toys, but he doesn't have the coordination to actually build anything. Just <laughs> smearing him around the carpet. I mean, I see, I see a decent amount of talent here in Minnesota. This, this between Oscar Fuentes, DJ Cazada, David Alverson, maybe not with the bat, but in, definitely in the field. I mean, he was a three-war guy, eight twelve OPS. Love David Alverson. Um, this is a team that. With Haynes, is maybe only one more piece away. Get another starter next to Rosales. I think it, with, with Montreal yeah. out the window, the Mets, you, you, you can't count the Mets out, but, but Montreal is going to tumble to the bottom. New York is still down there. Toronto made themselves better. Cleveland's going to lose Maury. Detroit had a negative run differential last year. Do with them as you want. I think there are four, there are four or five teams here in the North. And Minnesota adding Haynes and taking away from Toronto is gonna be a is gonna be a boon because adding Haynes it might not make Toronto worse by when they have pain, but it makes it makes Minnesota that much better. Right. The key here is not Toronto sending Haynes because, as you mentioned, they have Pena. But the signal that it sends from Minnesota, Desly and the Twins think they're going to contend this year. D. Rich. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. Can you repeat the question? Do Sly and the Twins think they're going to compete this year because of the Haynes trade? That's what this says to me. Does it say that to you? No, not at all. Um, I don't even think Sly thinks that. I think Sly is just hoping to get back around 80 wins. Um, I think the North's going to kind of look like like it did this season, kind of a muddled mess. Uh, just swap Montreal and Minnesota and some combination. You're going to see you're going to see six teams competing. I don't think Minnesota's ready. I don't think it's, they're good enough. Um, Haynes is certainly a good player, but it's, I don't know how special he is. Um, what's weird is he's, he does have a bad personality. The numbers have been down lately. And the contract's just so weirdly structured. It made a, he's kind of a tough guy to go, guy to go after it. It hinders what you can do going forward because he yeah. has not a lot of money on the books this year and then a big $25 million next year. The, uh, but do, do you know how much Sly, before this trade, has an extension money for next year? Oh, I'm sure a lot. $56 million. And uh, even with those upcoming free agents, you're going you're gonna to have to pay Rosales. That's about it. I mean, yeah, he's got, he's got these upcoming free agents. I don't know how many of them are, are necessary to retain. But it's just Rosales. You, you, you throw in, let's say, $20 million for Rosales next year, the twenty-five with Haynes. You've still got, your, you've still got $10 million to work with next year. Yeah, I it's, think um, it's a it's a good deal for Minnesota. Um, I, I think this uh, this is a move that makes sense both ways. Alvarez and De La Torre, OSA doesn't love them. The Forty potential both ways. You get the second round pick, which is nice, and Toronto recoups some value for for uh, getting Payne in the first place. How many suitors do you think there were out there for Dan Haynes? I would have loved to have been able to afford him as a guy who needed the catcher. I can't was... afford him this year, but I don't know what the fuck's going on next year, so I had to back out. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's yeah. a lot of teams in the market. Um, yeah. I wonder if Minnesota was the only one. Well, they certainly have the money. 
I mean, the rebuild in Montreal continued. Jesse McMichael, we'll get to that letter. That's a lot more interesting from a Atlantic perspective than it is a North perspective. We'll get back to that later. And as Jake mentioned, Montreal just sent Dave Bakey and Aaron Dove to the Milwaukee Brewers. And yeah, that's that was Aaron Dove was Montreal's only top 100 guy. Mind you, they add one in Ryan Eddy, who I think can be a, a top the rotation guy. Um, Bobby Miranda's bounced around a bit now. Uh, where's this Milwaukee system? This Milwaukee system ranked 20th. Eddie was a top 100 guy. Bobby Miranda, I believe, was just outside. Um, so he, he parlays uh, the number 70 prospect in baseball, Aaron Dove, into the number 35 prospect. Mind you, that costs him $13.5 million this year in retainer. He adds Bobby Miranda, who's probably a top 200 guy, and then he adds a second and a third. I think that's very good value for a top hundred prospect, and for uh, who is out for the next eight nine months. Also, right. for a starter who's on a hefty contract this year that that ends up getting backloaded or yeah. frontloaded. Excuse me. Now, uh, now Jangles did have to retain fifty percent, but I don't even yes. care about that. Retainer's not a big deal when you're rebuilding, right? Unless it's like a eight year contract, which are illegal in the sky. So it doesn't and no, matter. And anyway. most of that, that the most of that contract is again in year one of this deal because of how a mean structure that contract is twenty six right. million this year, eighteen million total between fifteen and sixteen. So right. after this year when I think we can all agree is a punt year for Montreal. I think that's what we've all been saying. Right. It's not it's not gonna matter as much. Right. All right. What's most interesting to me about what this does to the layout of the North. Are the New York Mets, like, somewhere, Brandon, slowly grinning, and then the grin turns into a maniacal joker laugh because all these teams are trading, and maybe nobody's really better, nobody's really, really worse? Are the Mets the team to beat in the North still? Nothing's changed? For the fifth straight year, I will get on this soapbox. The Toronto Blue Jays are the best team in the North right now. Yeah, if it's if the Blue Jays are going to make a push, this would be the year. Um, York and Reese have kind of grown into themselves. Gravel's coming back on a cheaper deal that makes no fucking sense in the world. But I don't know. This team always disappoints, so I just I know where to put my money. I, history's taught me to bet on the Mets. It's in Flushing Queens. That's where you put your money. You, their window is closing quick. Um, you, we acted like the Angels have a shorter window. I, the Mets is. Their window closes when Ponds is gone, which could be fuck any day now. Honestly, um, it's the whole it, offseason at Devonport's. You never know. It's certainly interesting, right? Like now, I do think the Mets are silently celebrating. I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy David and the Boston Red Sox. I like the Andy Allen deal in Boston. I think it works well. Uh, if Andy Allen's a negative asset, obviously he's not worth a dollar, but. <laughs> If all you paid is a dollar, it's a risk worth taking. And this is a team that I think has a chance to contend now in the North because Montreal is going to be worse. Toronto always disappoints for reasons that are completely foreign to me. Uh, And obviously, uh, the Mets are going to be all right. Cleveland didn't do anything. Uh, But uh, I don't know that Minnesota is there yet, although I might disagree. I think Minnesota might not be done making moves. Uh, they're going to buy some free agents and see where it happens this year. Uh, but in any event, Jake, do you have thoughts? So look at the Mets. They've got, uh, I think, six big names due for free agency after this year. Juan Guerrero, Basinger, Showers, Castillo, Redden, Navarrijo. Only one of them is asking for more than $20 million. Joe Basinger, an upcoming free agent, the greatest 
sky closer through their age 30 season, whatever you want to say. Guess how much he's asking for an extension money? 14. 14. That's it. I guessed, by the way. That was a guess, I swear. It's exactly what it is. $14 million. Brandy has $91 million in extension money for next year. He can, he has Downey locked up. He has pawns on one, two year deals until the world ends. Well, the Royo Castillo is going to be a free agent, which is going to be interesting, but he, he has 2015 as a potential bridge year. So if he wants to reinvent what he does, he can let Juan Guerrero walk. He can play the trade front. He can maybe go out and sign some free agents, but. This is this is really interesting with the Mets here, where they kind of have this chance to to bridge themselves from the Pons era into, if you want to call it, the Downey era, just because of how how these contracts are coming off the books. Yeah, but what are you going to do with the money? Um, so much is going to depend on what free agents are available, because that's how the Mets were built. They never trade. They had Pons when Brandon took over. They had Pons and about eighty million dollars in cap space. He blew it all in one offseason. And it all worked out, and they've been cruising. Right. I don't know if that's going to be the case when Pons walks away. Um, I don't think this team's fucking good at all outside of – you take Pons and Basinger off the team, this team's bad. But the difference with that is that you just can't do that because you know what both of them will give you. I well, don't know what Pons will give you Well, what worries me Well, what worries me about Pons, and you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the Angels, Jake, is that now Pons is starting to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And that that's the first because that's what happened to Ramos. Like he got hurt. All of a sudden he was no longer Ramos. Right. Uh, and that can happen real freaking quick. It certainly did with Juan Ramos. So I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think the back issues are the biggest thing with with Pons because that's been the that's been the that's been what's hampering him over the last year and a half. Back stiffness in late 2012. Back stiffness. Spring training. Back stiffness in June. Backs and Memphis, which took him out of Game Six of the Skyline Cup series. I think this is the last year of the Mets um, until Brandon's got to make some changes. He's got to get off his ass and actually do something because I think this is Pons' last year of production. And without Pons, they just uh, don't have shit. Uh, this offense is horrible. Just yeah, just dreadful on every level. They have like one hitter I like, and their defense took a huge hit with that Nate Clark trade. So. What do they have outside of those two guys? Three guys, I include Downey. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, Quinny Rogozinski. Does, does that count for anything? That counts for nothing. That counts for okay. negative. Negative countage. All right. Well, now we're going to move on from the North to the Atlantic because the Atlantic is the other division. Made a lot of trades so far this offseason. Dare you we're, say the sexiest division in baseball? Well, the, we're, we're going to call the Atlantic the best division in baseball. Oh, well, of course. That's implied. Right, yes. But the, the North can still be the sexiest. Uh, the Atlanta Braves got it all started with a trade with the Seattle Mariners from the Pacific where Sam Monzo and Jake Drees and Chris Gibson, a third baseman in uh, the sky, along with Danny Sosa, who everybody was gushing about, and a seventh got sent to the Seattle Mariners for Esteban Galdamez and Dan Sullivan, a double-A center fielder and a fifth-round pick. Uh, Jake, you were not a part of this deal. Were you celebrating silently, as most on Slack were, that Dustin got fleeced by D. Rich in this trade? Like, I didn't under. I honestly did not understand this move. 
I really didn't. I guess I, I think that it's worth more if you just let Manzo walk because I do not understand where Dustin has come from. He's he's a GM that I respect, that I know makes good moves. And unless he sees something in Dan Sullivan that I don't see, because I have Sullivan at 50 potential. That's all I got him at, which is okay, not great. Um, He gave up, I think, a better center fielder prospect in uh, Sosa. He gave up the better draft pick. He gave up an ML, uh, a major league caliber talent in Chris Gibson. He gave up Jake Drees, who if he, if Drees' uh, control ever comes in, he's a viable pitcher. Give up Sam Manzo, who I think is probably one of the best postseason pitchers in, in Sky history, just based off anecdotal evidence. Um, and I'm not a Galdemez guy. I'm really not. He's he's good, not great. And I think the package that he gave up was for someone that is is great to elite. Galdemez is 28. He's a one-time All-Star. He's consistent over the last three years. Averaged three war and 820 OPS. And it's a beautiful contract. I get that. But I think he gave up too much in this deal. All right. Well, let me shed some a little bit of light before Trent talks about it. Um I came to Dustin asking about Manzo, if he would be willing to do a sign-and-trade. Because Dustin has no money available. Manzo was walking. So at the last minute, I said, hey, can I throw you a prospect or a pick or something? Maybe you can sign Manzo and send him over. At least get something. you know. Get, don't take nothing, take something. So we agreed on Dan Sullivan. Uh, a prospect both me and Dustin like. Is he a top 100 amazing guy? No, but... It's something. It's better than having Manzo walk. So before we posted that, I said, hey, let's discuss Galdemez again. Um, Seattle originally had Galdemez, and Dustin has missed the guy every day of his life. I know this. So I brought up Galdemez, and we settled on the package of Dries, Gibson, and Sosa. That's it. It's what, it really is two trades. I think people are reading this um, wrong, per se. Because, yeah, Manzo's a, an all-star caliber pitcher thrown in this mix. But really think of it as two trades. All right. A couple of things. First of all, I do think that D. Rich shedding some light on it makes it make a little bit more sense. Uh, I think you really – I think that instead of it really being a Manzo trade, it's really a Galdemez trade. And I, think, and I think that Seattle overpaid for Galdemez. Uh, yeah, that, that's, I, what, that's what it comes down to for me as well is that he's okay. I, but is he is he great? Is he someone that's gonna instantly boost someone instantly boost someone's lineup from someone that that already had Juan Ochoa at third base? So here's yeah, the thing: Ochoa is an impending free agent, but I Ochoa is a has more career awards than Galdemez. Okay, Ochoa was uh, again shedding more light. Uh, I'm gonna defend Dustin. Um, Ochoa was walking. So you look at the Seattle team, 94-win team, amazing, has Egerton coming in. They don't have a hole in the rotation. The bullpen's great. There's not a hole on this roster except for third base. So Galdemez plugs in. He ranks as the number two third baseman in Sky and fills a contender's only hole. Yeah. It's interesting. What I find to be the most interesting about this deal is Sam Manzo. I've always been interested by this guy. He's got reverse splits in his profile as far as ratings as a pitcher. 
he's better against lefties than he is against righties, which has just perplexed me. He's sort of a turducken in that way. And it, is Sam Manzo really good? Like, what is Sam Manzo? Manzo okay. is closet like, good. Sam Manzo I, is closet good. I am I don't, willing I don't really, to I, admit I, that. I'm, I'm willing to suggest that maybe Sam Manzo might be a scotch overrated. Right, like this is a guy oh, thank that, you. In, yeah. that in 2011 is 2000 at 2.8 WAR, 2012 2.4 WAR over two teams, and then 2013 3.7 WAR. But that's because he was, of course, he was at Dustin's team, just otherworldly. Almost earned as many WAR in 53 innings with the Mariners as he did in, in 150 innings with Pittsburgh. Dare, dare so, we call this the trade that got away since Manzo was the one maybe. that got away from the Braves? Absolutely. Called him as the one that got away from the Mariners. Totally. Um, I think we both, that's kind of why the trade works. Uh, we both kind of know we're preying on each other's weaknesses. The, this generation's Tim Tassilo trade. Yeah, you could say that. You I guess. That. Yeah, I, but I'm with you, Trent. Um, Manzo, we, we called him like, man, this guy's really underrated. And then all of a sudden he popped up on this top 20 pitchers list and people are like, oh shit, yeah, he is underrated. Sam Manzo rocks. And he pitched a couple good games in the playoffs for Toronto and then pitched a good games for the Mariners and pitched good for the Pirates. Uh, a lot of it's the playoff reputation. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Who the hell knows? Right. But he's a good pitcher. Borderline a top 20 guy, sure. Um, the question I have for you about Manzo, let's say, let's say this trade doesn't go down. And Manzo's a free agent. How much money does he get? 20 plus. Ooh, lots. I think somebody overpays for him. I mean, we saw what Aiden Gravel got last year. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's going to be really... I, I, I would not have been the guy that do, did it because I don't really, I don't really love Sam Manzo. I don't yeah, really Aiden, think he's all that. I think Aiden Gravel's better than Manzo and he just has been his whole career. Um, Manzo got like... Tw- Excuse me. Gravel got like twenty-three million a year. I think that's probably the ballpark that that uh, Manzo would get. So yeah. About twenty-three, something like yeah, that. That's so essentially, like, I got him for seventeen. I'm giving up Dan Sullivan to save six million dollars a year. It's a good deal for me, and it gives Dustin something. But you're you right. Aiden like... Gravel and Sam Manzo have combined for zero All-Star appearances. Yeah. Yeah, let's quit praising these guys so much. Jeez. Yeah. Sam Manzo does not have a single a single thing on his like, you know, accolades radar. There's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, he's he was just a pitcher that he was a he was the uh July he was the June twenty ten pitcher of the month. That's it. Crazy. He's been friendly okay. We'll get this, back to this this, this is a Galdemist trade. We'll uh, maybe yeah, Manzo right. isn't that great in the postseason, 409 career ERA, but he had the good postseason in 2010, the the great postseason this year. I don't know. It's a lot of it's overrated because he pitched two complete games in 2010 and then got schlacked his other game. It's interesting. Everybody's talking about the Sosa guy most of all, right? Like that was where a lot of people were saying, "Oh, yeah, my gosh, Sosa, it. Sosa, Sosa." I will join the Sosa love fest and say that my scout has like. Five points on all of OSA for Danny Sosa. And so that might have something to do with it. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah, the trade Danny about Sosa, Sosa right now. Danny Sosa's floor is a fourth outfielder. 
I, I think That's its floor, floor is 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 the strong end of of, platoon, of an outfield platoon. Right. I think he could start at, at any time with the defense. I'm, I'm saying his floor, like if he just yeah, stops I understand what the floor means right here. Yeah, like he probably you could probably start this guy even if he hits 240, it doesn't do shit. Like the right. the gloves that good because he's I'm so really good defensively. On, right. I love this guy a lot. Right. Um. If everybody liked him so much, it's funny that no one ever asked Dustin about him because it's funny the way that works. No one uh, ever bothers to ask Dustin about trades. Yeah, they assume Dustin. They, the people forget ball. about the the teams on the West Coast. Right? Maybe I don't that's, know. Is that, that, that why you guys true. constantly try to remind us twenty four seven? Well, that and we have the three best teams in baseball. Right. <sighs> oh, that's another can of worms. But Sosa, the guy's right handed. Um, 80 defense and center and right-handed. Yeah, There's that's, no one else like that probably ever sexy. outside that's of Trujillo. That's incredibly rare. You never see that. So I'm excited about Sosa. That's really what it was for. Uh, Drees is another guy I like. Um, but again, people are kind of overreacting to this guy in Slack, too. Yeah, uh, He hasn't shown that he can throw strikes or get outs. Um, he's got some nice pitches, but he's been a career disappointment and sucked for years. So... I'm hoping this is his breakout year. If not, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah, and he's not a world beater. It's interesting. The uh, trade after that, again, we're in the Atlantic now. Uh, was uh, Akbar going to Baltimore? Uh, we've talked about that a little bit. We'll move on from that. You don't often see uh, D. Rich trade his way in the off season to uh, replenish uh, some losses. One team that you see it see do it all the time is the Philadelphia Phillies and the Phillies got into the act uh, Gilberto Chavria uh, Chavira uh, single a uh, catcher went to Arizona for Felix Camacho and then uh, Jesse McMichael from Montreal and Mike Saulnier and Danny Munez who's just a 16 year old third baseman went to Philadelphia for Jason Foley Mike Gibson Alec Gallardo uh, a, and two second rounders, the 216 and the 2.25. The Phillies trying to rebuild through the draft or through trades. Jake, your thoughts? I love both of these trades. Camacho is, since he's gone to Arizona, no one's really talked about him. He's had 4.8 WAR over the last two years. OPS 780. He's what you need at catcher. He's been what he's been what you're looking for at catcher pretty much since you came into the league. Yeah. Um, he's a 70, he's an OSA 65, uh, position rating catcher. So he's not someone that needs to be pulled out. He's a switch hitter that can hit both sides of the plate, a little better versus righties than lefties. Um, but he's damn consistent. He's going to hit 270. He's going to get on base to 340 clip. He's going to slug at a 440 clip. And then McMichael, I, I do not understand. This is a, this is a man who's a year removed from seven and a half war. A down year last year where he missed half, where he missed, what, four weeks, and he still had three and a half war. I don't know if he's always going to be a seven war guy. I think he's, he's definitely better than the three and a half war that he was last year. Um, just because of how, how fickle defense is. He was only plus 1.4 in center field last year compared to plus 5.8 each of his first four, four years. I think he rebounds from that. He's making $14 million each of the next three years, and you didn't have to give up a top 100 prospect for him. That seemed like a no-brainer. Yes, you gave away Foley, but he was walking. You weren't going to bring him back. That opens up a first base, a first base DH spot since you've already got Billbury. I love both of these moves. 
And now D. Rich gets to rain all over my parade. D. Rich. <laughs> uh, let's go one at a time. Let's go uh, Camacho. Um, this one I don't like. Um, you know, sometimes, Trent, you complain like, God damn it, Bobby Hicks was so good, then he got to Philly and he sucked. God damn it, Andy Allen was so good and he got to Philly and he sucked. God, Contreras and like all these guys. I look at Camacho and I'm like, man, this guy's going to hit 220. Because he, catcher's really fickle. Um, but I look at the guy's ratings. There's no reason for him being this steady. I think he's been due for a decline for a while. So he's making $10 million. I think it's an overpay. I like the, the catcher prospect you gave up to. He's 22. You know, you could have waited a year and played that guy next year. Probably would have been better and cheaper than Camacho. Um, if he stays consistent, great. It's it's a good trade for you. But I'm not I'm not optimistic given your track record. And just give it to Camacho's. God, I just see 45 contact, 40 eye. Like, there's no nothing really redeeming there. But what about the last five years of production from him? Yeah, I don't know where the fuck it's coming from. Um, I just don't get it. This guy's pissed me off for a while. Catchers in this game, I don't get it. I, I don't know. I just uh, it infuriates me, and I think Camacho's due for a down year because it reminds me of going after and signing Tringan Schrute, who immediately was so consistent, started sucking. Yeah, he was sucked. He sucked on ice last year for the Braves. Yeah, yeah. I, I am pick. I'm predicting a similar, similar season from Camacho for you. Now. The other trade, because who cares about the catchers? This one's... I think Jake said most everything. Um, the biggest thing, and this is the first thing I asked Trent, was are you? what's Foley doing next year? Because Foley's a cheap contract right now. It's expiring. He just came off an awesome year, so the guy's due for a payday. And he's going to get it. And I don't think it's going to be from Montreal. I don't know. I think there's a good chance he walks. And Montreal's got their thumb up their ass saying, like, man, what do we give away McMichael for? Because McMichael, contract-wise, that's one of the best in the league. $13 million for three more years. No options, no bullshit. Um, I'm with Jake. I don't think he's a seven-war guy anymore. I, he's really good, though. And the price was so little. Um, I don't believe that the defense will bounce back. I think he's probably going to be... Wouldn't shock. I'm going to say he's negative in center field next year. That's a prediction. No, 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 no. I'm going to say he's negative. Not by much, but like by a run or something. He's going to continue to get worse. So, and in three years, he's going to be a corner outfielder. But I I think you'll get through this contract with him in center. He turns 27 in March. Do you know how fast range drops? It goes in a hurry. And Trent, or, and McMichael's already dropped from 70 to 60 already. This season, this season, 70 to 60 for me, and it's continued to drop. It's certainly interesting. Uh, after that, one more trade in the Atlantic to discuss. Oh, no, Trent, you got you to gotta weigh in on your McMichael deal. Come on. Oh, well, for starters, it took forever. I uh, took my 13-year-old son to the movies this afternoon. Uh, I saw McMichael. Uh, I was talking with Jangles effectively since the offseason started. I was in on Pena, as was D. Rich, ends up going to Toronto. And I was really out on McMichael. I've always had a little bit of a Trent Snyder hard on for Jesse McMichael. Uh, love Jesse McMichael. Nothing, nothing ever at the level of uh, Dave Carrico, though. Correct. Yeah, no, oh, well, boy. 
Yeah, no, well, uh, you can write I've always on that relationship. Right. I, I, I love Jesse McMichael and was really worried because Jangles said Miami had in a strong offer. Now, that might have been bullshit. I don't know. We'll never know. But uh, Jangles said that Miami had in an offer and I was really, really worried about that. So I wanted to make a strong offer. And God I offered, bless you. And I offered Foley and uh, a spec and a second rounder. And he came back with two specs and two second rounders because he knew he had he knew uh, that I had his second rounder as well. And I put up a fuss. And so we threw in the other specs who aren't really useful. Uh, you know, a triple A pitcher who's sort of meh. And then a, you know, as of the time of the trade, a guy who's in Jingles International uh, complex who OSA has a 20, but my scout really likes third baseman Danny Munez, and that was good enough for me to pull the trigger and make it happen. Um, I uh, I think that it is somewhat unfair if people talk about pitchers and their changes when they have ballparks and don't talk about hitters when their changes in ballparks, and I think about that a lot, and maybe it's not as big a deal as it is with pitchers. One could certainly make that argument. Uh, but I really like McMichael coming to Philadelphia. Uh, he's a lefty that can stay on the field against left-handed starters. And so that I really, really like. So, yeah, uh, but I'm really excited about Jesse McMichael. And I've got a soft spot in my heart for Felix Camacho. I think he's the real deal. And Philadelphia has money this offseason. And you can't take it with you. You got to spend it. And if uh, now I agree with you on Gilberto Chavaria, I like him a lot. Chavira, I like him a lot. Uh, but that got it done by itself. If he would have said, hey, add something, I might have said go to hell. Uh, but Arizona did not. And so Camacho's about to be a Philly. So uh, that's where we'll be. So uh, the Atlanta Braves, not to be outdone. One more trade, then we'll talk about the Atlantic moving forward. Uh, sent Scott Lanzillo, a uh, sky-level second baseman, and a rookie league center fielder named Nick Markin to Kansas City for Michael Prettyman, or Prettyman, depending on which syllable you want the emphasis, uh, from Kansas City. Uh, Jake, we'll go to you first. Uh, do you like Michael Prettyman? I hated this deal. I absolutely hated this deal. I like Nick Martin. I like Scott Lanzillo. I do not like Prettyman. What 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 is Prettyman shown you outside of that one flash in the pan in 2012? You know what he's shown you? He's shown you three long-term injuries. Four now. He had the strain formed in 09, torn meniscus in 2010, the arthritic elbow in, in 2011, now the torn UCL. And he had the one good year. You take out that one year, he started less than 30 career major league games, and he has less than one war. Is that worth Lanzillo and uh, a recent slot draft pick? I don't think so. D. Rich. Trent, you go. Uh, I I am also not a real big fan of Michael Prettyman. We've talked about him. He's a he's a podcast special in that uh, he, uh, he's been talked about a lot. And D. Rich, D. Rich must have a scout who's a fan because D. Rich has often – Loved Mike Prettyman, and uh, I don't really like him. Uh, I have, and uh, and I still don't. But that said, I am not as high on Lanzillo and Martin as Jake is. Perhaps, perhaps it's Jake Scout. 
who is a big fan. Uh, I'm sort of meh on both those guys. So for me, this is meh for meh. Prettyman will either be okay or he'll be crappy. Man, I, I don't know. I I don't see a future where Prettyman does what he did in Kansas City again, but I also don't foresee a future in which he's just hurt all the time. Like I I I don't think that happens. So I would I, I would know. love that. I I just want this guy to stay on the field. Um, right. I was really on the fence about this trade. Uh, it is three major injuries. So yeah, that's that's terrifying. I always thought this guy was good though. I've been after him for like six years. Like a ridiculous long time, and uh, glad to finally have him. The guy has a really, really good contract. I think you're sleeping on that. Um, like if he if he's healthy, he probably is a three and a half four war guy, and you're paying him ten million. Uh, you can't really hope for much more. So if he stays on the field, this is a huge win for me. Lanzillo is a guy I love. I drafted early. Just one of those guys you have for so long, you just really grow accustomed to liking him and his faggy mustache. But <laughs> I'm sad to see him go, but I don't have a need for him. I uh, I have a second baseman. I don't have a need. And Nick Martin, polarizing prospect. I like him a bit. But he's 19. Who the hell knows? He's not a top 100 rated guy. He's not a top 200 rated guy. He's not rated high anywhere. So I don't feel bad about losing him. He's 19 in my system. Right. I'm going to miss Lanzillo, but man, it's not a big deal. My losses, it's really worst case scenario is, oh, I'm, I'm eating $10 million a year because I have a pitcher hurt. That risk is worth the reward for me, which is getting a steal of a contract with a very, very legitimate starter. All right. We will. Uh... I mean, uh, so before before we move on. Um, are there any other trades we need to talk about? Not really, but I do want to get Jake, your thoughts. Because Jake famously, last year, preseason pod, picked the Braves to miss the playoffs. Have the Braves done enough already this offseason for you to go, okay, yeah, this Braves team is back? I would have felt a lot better if instead of going out and trading for Prettyman, they go out and sign someone who, for all intents and purposes, is a little more consistent. Go out and sign a Nate Anderson. Go out and sign Maury for the same amount that uh, Prettyman's going to get. Sign freaking Bobby Hicks. I like all of those guys. Even Jorge Castillo. You're fucking out of your mind. I like all of those guys better than Michael Prettyman. (laughs) You would rather have Bobby Hicks, a guy who just pitched an entire year sucking dick, who is like 37 years old, over Prettyman? Yes. Who's 29? You'd because rather have I, that over Yoshihide Mori. Who's... I think there's a better chance that Bobby Hicks last year was a flash was a was the outlier compared to Prettyman's 2011. Oh man, you are ridiculous here. Mm-mm. All right, well, Prettyman's a 55 OSA guy. It's not like it was. A, he's a nobody. The ratings are right. good. The health's bad. I get that. But if he's healthy, there's not a chance in hell that Hicks or Mori or Nate fucking Anderson is better. That's I crazy. think those three combined for a better average war this year than Prettyman does. Oh, uh, let's well, put it on the board. That's a board bet right there. That's a bet that I, if I lose, it's going to be because he blew his elbow out. Right. That's it. Not to be outdone, the two-time defending Atlantic champs, the Miami Marlin Flying Fucktards, uh, made their 
Waves felt uh, in free agency, signing uh, Luis Figueroa, uh, reliever, to a five-year deal, six point seven. They, they, they do that all the time. They did it with John Ford. They 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 did it with Nakayama. They signed these relievers to five-year deals. And then Kevin Frichtel, the former Angel, now a Miami Marlin, on a three-year deal for fifteen point one. Uh, a season as an average annual value. The other signing in this first uh, uh, sim of free agency was also an Atlantic signing. Bobby Alexander, a reliever, two years, eight and a half a year to the Baltimore Orioles. So uh, love that. Love that move. Love Bobby Alexander. Love, so, love, love Bobby so Alexander. Jake, he had not the, been toiling away in San Diego for those two years. What could have been so as Jake, a reliever? So yeah, he Jake. probably would have been pretty good, but so come on, Jake. he is before, making nine million. Before we move on to our last topic <laughs> of the night, before we move on to our last topic of the night, the Miami Marlins won the Atlantic last season by one game over the Atlanta Braves. The Marlins and the Braves have both made splashes: Miami in free agency, Atlanta in the trade market. Virginia Black Bears, who finished third, nine games back of Miami, eight games back of Atlanta, have done nothing. The Philadelphia Phillies, who finished in fourth, 13 back, have certainly made waves in the trade market. Washington, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, fifth, sixth, seventh in the Atlantic, have all done nothing so far this offseason. And the Baltimore Orioles have made a splash with the signings of Alexander and the trade for Akbar. How do you, as the only outsider we can talk to on the pod, assess the Atlantic thus far this offseason? I this is the strongest division top to bottom. There 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 are no teams in the midst of a rebuild. I think Cincinnati is the worst team of this bunch. Um they they were the wor- they were objectively the worst last year. Eighth in runs against, fourteenth in runs scored. Not great at anything. Um Bermudez was a nice little bump for them last year. Mario played sixty three games, Luciani played a hundred games. I've never been a Cincy guy. I, I don't know. They've always had these two or three injury-riddled pieces, and then when they go down, everyone asks, surprised, and then they don't have anything else to back it up. Uh, they they don't love the pitching. They lose Nate Anderson, which is going to hurt. Former uh, perfecto thrower Nate Anderson. He did have the perfect uh, C- game. Cincinnati's probably at the bottom of this division with 70 wins. Pittsburgh, Washington, Baltimore, they're probably they – throw Virginia in that bunch because – as much as I liked Virginia last year, they they offered zero defense and they just collapsed down the stretch. They they absolutely shit themselves over the last two months of the season. I think they need to add another starter potentially, and they only have what nineteen million to work with. Don't like Rohawk in right field with that range, but with McIntyre, you kind of have to play him in right field unless you want to play McIntyre at first base, which then I don't know. Then you got Sagastume trying to move around. I don't know. There 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 are ways to make this defense better than what it is. Actually, uh, if you're listening, Birdo, here's what I do. Take Rohawk, move him to DH. Take McIntyre, move him to first base. Take Sagastume, move him to second base. Take CS, throw him in right field. Or throw him in left field and move Walker from left field to right field, because Walker can play anywhere he wants. Um, I think that right there makes your turns your defense from something that was minus 29 in zone running last year to probably, probably cut that in half, just because of how bad Rohawk was. He was minus eight himself. Um, Sagas Dume was, was a very good defender at first base. Uh, Fuller is whatever. 
I mean, they, they could use an up, upgraded shortstop. They could definitely use some, some bullpen reinforcements. I think if they could do that, it, and they've got money to work with. They've got $20 million to work with this year. And Juan Flores is, is better than the 4.5 year rate that he had last year. So Virginia could, could do better than what they did this year. They, they could, it wouldn't surprise me if they win 90 games. It wouldn't surprise me if they win 72 games. Um, I think they have the largest range of outcomes of this specific team, or of these Atlantic teams, more so than even Philly, which I think has the potential to win 90-plus games. Atlanta is, well, Atlanta. If, if they don't get hurt, if they don't get banged up again, this is the team that had the second-most runs in baseball last year. Um, if that starter year eight can go down from 5-2-9 to, say, 4-7, this is a team that, that doesn't win 90 games. This is a team that wins 95, 96 games. So, I, I think I think right now I take Atlanta, Virginia, Miami in the Atlantic. Wow. All right. Fair enough. Uh, that brings us to our last topic. And in advance of this, let me just say that what we were talking about before we uh, started to record uh, was that we had the amazing statistic of having 32 out of 32 GMs vote in uh, end of year awards. Uh, I we think somehow it, had 33 votes for West yeah, Silver Slugger. See, I now don't you're know gonna, how. Now you're going to start conspiracy theory fucking bullshit. Like, see, yeah, you could have just left it. it alone. It was a right? nice, hey, 30, was a nice 30, moment, Talk Jake. about the positive. 33 out of 32. That is better than 100%. That makes it, up for all the missed Doug it, votes it of, is, of years past. But, yeah, no, I think it was D. Rich in very long time ago. I'm sure that we could find it if we wanted to uh, on his uh, solo pod with Jake many uh, in-season years ago uh, or many in-game years ago. uh, Talked about how the key to the sky is the people. And so a shout out to you guys, the people. Or 32 out of 32 votes postseason awards. I think that's the first time that happened. And now the three of us are going to spend some time trying to get the same sort of statistic with Hall of Fame voting. We had 20 uh, votes out of 32 last year. It was just it. an abomination. And so we need to get that up. And so we're going to spend a little time talking about the Hall of Fame. Uh, this was a topic in Slack last night. Uh, we're going to try to make it a topic now uh, on the pod. We're going to talk about it. D. Rich, if I, or Jake, I'll give you the floor first. If you get to make the case for any one guy on your Hall of Fame ballot that you think people aren't voting for, who is it and why? Jake. Uh, I think – so I'm actually looking at my ballot right now. I'm using the sortable list. Based on all this, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys in my ballot who have gotten 30% plus. Got Escobar at 25%. And then I've got Juan Ramos, who is first year on the ballot. And by the way, if you do not vote for Juan Ramos this year, you deserve to have your Hall of Fame vote revoked. I don't care if you're small hall, big hall, don't like Andrew for whatever reason. You think that, I don't know, Juan Ramos cheated or whatever. He did something to your daughter. I don't care. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Easily. Now, now that I've said my part, I was surprised at how few people last year voted for Bobby Hagley and Pat Newell. I thought that Bobby Hagley was going to get in on his first try. He didn't. I thought he was going to get in on his second try. He didn't. There are very few players. But before Trujillo, I think the best four-year stretch in Sky history came from 1998 to 2001 with Bobby Hagley. Nine war in 98, where he missed 30 games. Nine and a half war in 99, where he missed 20 games. 
eight war in 2000 with St. Louis, and then 2001, 10.4 war. Before Trujillo, he was the last position player with 10-plus war. Two-time position player of the year. Two-time gold lover. Five-time all-star. Four-time silver slugger. A 1996 Sky Champion. And a 2000 Division Wild Card Series MVP. I don't understand an argument get to, to be made against Bobby Hagley. It's interesting. I know that I live in Stats Plus on three-year trend and five-year trends of hitters and pitchers in our league. And if you go... Start at 1998, because it's the first year you can get a three-year trend and get a year of the human era, because you can go 98, 99, and 2000. And then you can go, you know, from there and move up. It is incredible how long you can go and see Bobby Hagley in those lists of best, you know, top 10 hitter in all of the sky, uh, which he was well into the human era. He's just incredible. D. Rich, I'll give you the same question. You get period of time here to make your case for a guy who does not get votes and you don't know why. Go, D. Rich. All right. Um, this guy got a couple votes. He got 25% of the ballot last year. Um, but I'm going to bring him up because we had a brief conversation in Slack comparing him to Mr. Hangman Hoover. And this guy is a guy named Juan Escobar. Um, no nickname, boring Dominican name, so he probably gets negative points for that. But he pitched his entire career with the Giants and rattled, just brought in the hardware like pretty much no one ever has. Uh, he won four pitcher of the years. And before the human era, pitchers could win MVP. It's only happened twice, and one of them was Escobar because he was that dominant. Uh, career ERA of 2.7. Seven-time All-Star. The guy even had a good bat. He hit 330 a couple of years. I, when I look at the Hall of Fame, I, I prefer seeing guys with really strong peaks rather than a long career. And Escobar, it's not like he had a short career. He played 14 years. But it's about as dominant as you will ever see. An ERA career under three is hard to come by. I was looking at Escobar, too, uh, when we were talking about this in Slack, I think this might not be true, but I think I don't want to change my screen and go to it. So one of you two can, I think that he might be the starter with the lowest career ERA in all of sky history. Because, uh, he is fourth. Yep. Well, but I think Eddie Lehman's on that list and he was not a starter. Lehman was a reliever. And then Chad Foreman, who's in the hall of fame, Ernesto Pons, who is going to be in the hall of fame. Muggsy Figueroa, who is in the Hall of Fame, and then Juan Escobar. Escobar. And then there's a big drop. Right. It's huge after that, right? Because Juan Ramos, who I'm not disputing, is easily a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was incredible. He did not have – his strength was not ERA. He's far down on that list, folks. Like, Juan Ramos has a 3.5 career ERA. Like, Juan Escobar has a 2.77 career ERA. I mean, that is just otherworldly. And uh, and I would not be doing myself justice if I did not take some time myself and talk about my guy. And you can pick on me for homerism all you want. I'm going to hit you with a little Jorge Morales, center fielder for the Phillies, best hitter in Phillies history. Uh, 
which was a checkered history, both before and after Trent took over. But whatever, we're moving on from that. The one thing that I'm going to point out is that Juan Morales has great stats, but he's missing two years. One of those years is 1992, and he totally deserves to miss that year because he was hurt all year. So you can count that against him. He was hurt. Jorge Morales, not Juan Morales. Jorge Morales, right. But Jorge Morales also missed 1989. And the reason he missed it was because nobody in the AI signed him. Like, that is a true story. This also happened to Two Towel the one year. I don't have Two Towel in front of me, but he made the Hall of Fame last year. And so now, right in the midst of his prime, missed an entire year because None of the AI team signed him to a contract. There is no chance something like that happens with a player of his caliber in the human era of the sky. So I'm just going to mythically give him another five war for that. And then he's got 80 career war, 80 career war for a guy who's not in the Hall of Fame. Come on, folks. Find room on your ballot for Jorge Morales. I like the sales pitch. Um, I might even consider that. Uh, I kind of think about him every year, but I always, uh, I always just barely leave him off. You run a couple out of guys, room, right? You yeah, run I just kind of run out of room, and I look at right. the counting stats, and I'm like, okay, he's hit 300 homers, he's a 280 hitter. Uh, what you kind of forget about with him is his defense was uh, insane, but he was in a conference with the best defender we ever had, and so Morales only won one Gold Glove, which doesn't do him justice, and that's kind of where the 80 WAR comes from. Right. Well, he was so good defensively. Absolutely. Right. So so a little bit of Hall of Fame. DJ Hoover did not make my ballot. Jangles picked on me. I ran out of room. I think Hoover will find his way onto my ballot. But that's sort of a small hall, large hall discussion, because I I think think in a hall that is larger and welcomes all Hoover belongs. If you're a small hall guy, maybe he doesn't. And so I'll leave that up to others. I think Hoover's going to find his way onto my ballot, hopefully next year when we get in, you know, four or five guys this year, because Caleb Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And so do some of these other guys who have not made it thus far. So I, I think Hoover's going to end up being our Hall of Fame gatekeeper. Um, he's, I don't I don't think he's going to make it in. But if you're better than Hoover, you're going to get in. If you're worse, you're not. Um, he's kind of the first one we've had from our era um, be on the cusp. Because we've had Juan Ramoses and Muggsies, guys who are surefire, but this is our first real borderline case of, yeah, I mean, he has 200 wins. Was he that dominant? No. He has made the All-Star team three times. He has an ERA of 3-6. Uh, longevity is, is his card, pitching 3,000 innings. Um, he is kind of the perfect small hall, big hall guy, and I'm really curious to see where our votes lie. I worry what's what I worry is that we're going to start getting way too biased towards guys who get who played in our era. And all of a sudden we're going to see guys who don't deserve it get in because we talked about them so much. Like we're going to see Jim Brandon be a Hall of Famer when I don't know, he might not even be close. We'll see. It's certainly interest, interesting conversation. One of the things that gave me pause is that uh the best comparison to uh to Hoover is a guy by the name of Ben Duncan who pitched for the Braves and pitched a little bit in the human era, pitched for Vegas in 2002, uh, those good uh, Chris Graham Vasek Vegas teams. Hey, he was uh, in my rotation when I took over the league. Yep, 
Yep. And Bond numbers. Uh, his his numbers remind me a lot of Hoover's. He's got a 3.5 career ERA. The career war is about the same, but he's another guy. No real great years, just consistent good pitching and he probably has more great years than Hoover did cuz he's got he an eight, he's got an 8.5 war year with Washington in 94 and a 7.2 war year with uh Atlanta in 96 uh so he he's got a pitcher of the year award from 94 with with the Nationals so so uh the the the, the big thing here is if you want to disagree with us that's fine we welcome it disagree on slack so that we can have this argument uh, the more we talk about the hall, the more uh, guys who might be a little less active than all of us who are on Slack like crazy people all the time uh, might be uh, uh, more likely to vote. And uh, we'd love to get uh, 30, uh, 32 votes. Uh, good grief, guys. It's been going down instead of up uh, over uh, over uh, the, oh. the human era history here in terms of votes for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, and you that's do a it bad in game. Thing. It's yeah. really easy. You just export yeah. your fucking ballot. You don't have to go to Stats Plus or think about it. You click Hall of Fame voting, click sortable list, and then just choose 10 guys. It's super right. easy. Get I think in your half votes. our league doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Get in your votes. Make it happen. Jake, anything to add on Hall of Fame voting? Uh, we talked about Ramos. We talked about how he was a 3-5 ERA guy. I just went back and did the stats. If you take out his 2011 and 2012 seasons... Uh, where he had a 509 ERA in 122 2011 innings. He had a 63 ERA in 139 and two thirds 2012 seasons. If you take out those two end of year, uh, two, two uh, end of career years, his ERA is sub 296. Right. Yeah. That, and, that's just uh, how, that's just how good he was and just how bad uh, he was late in his career. His career ERA is 3.2. Uh, just correction. So. You misspoke a little bit earlier. Three two is still really fucking good. That's really good. Like, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Um, Juan Ramos, another guy. I said this years ago. Like, he could die in an accident and play eight years in the league, and I'd vote for him because he won hardware. He won six pitcher of the year awards, which is the most ever, I believe. And that peak. Pons, Pons I believe, has seven. Now right, you can double check that. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, Pons uh, has seven. Well, shit. That's incredible. Well, Pons right. is another one of those guys that, you know, could retire tomorrow and he'd be a shoe in. And that might have been true half a decade ago. Yeah, right? exactly. 2012, so, so. 2013 was the first time in his career he went back to back years without winning at least one uh, pitch of the year. Yeah. But which I value per- that. I value the peaks, which is why Ben Duncan, uh, I think I like that you brought him up because he looks exactly like Hoover. Um, he's within four games of 200 wins. Within a couple games of uh, 3,000 innings, like all the totals are really similar to Hoover's. But Duncan went out and had two awesome seasons where he was, you know, as good as it gets ever. 220 innings with an ERA. The difference is that we recognize Hoover's name. We don't recognize Duncan's name. Yeah. And I don't want us to fall into that trap. Um, Yep. I I would vote. I would vote Hoover over Duncan. I think, honestly, it's hard to, uh, I think 90% of us probably would. I just don't want us, us to fall into the trap of where, man, we forget about our history. We forget about our ancestors. Right. And we just start favoring all these guys. Right. So to uh, and anything else you want to add, Trent? No, I think we're good. Do you so to, anything to, to add? No, I'm good. Yep. So to end it, let's let's name our ballots. 
Let's let's make it public. I'm all for transparency. Um, in a second, uh, actually, now that we mentioned that, I will post my uh, awards ballot because we didn't do that this year. We didn't talk about our awards ballot. Um, who we voted for because that's one that we've always promoted transparency. I started doing that five six years ago, and I think it it made for better conversation, knowing who someone voted for. Um, so I'll I'll put out my uh, Hall of Fame ballot. I think D Rich, we may at this point have the same ballot. Uh, starting pitcher Juan Escobar, potentially the greatest catcher in Sky history, Alfredo Vargas. Um, if if we care about position positionality and getting the best of each position in, then you need to vote for Alfredo Vargas. Go go and look at him. Three time Gold Glover, uh, nine time All Star, seven time uh, uh, Platinum Stick winner. He had a great peak, fifty plus WAR. He had five plus WAR between eighty six and eighty eight. Go take a look at Alfredo Vargas. After that, uh, the first ever Pitcher of the Year winner, Willem Gallard, the former Yankee who was just on the cusp of getting in. He's gotten 60-plus percent of the vote twice. Uh, Big Al Alfredo Garza, who only got 40% of the vote last year. That surprised me. Bobby Hagley, who I mentioned earlier. Then the other closer, Eddie Lehman, who's been in between 20 and 30% of the vote each of the four years. He's been on the ballot. Juan Molina, uh, former Hitter of the Year winner in Houston. He got up to 70% of the vote last year. He is so close to getting in. Pat Newell, the greatest on-base player in Sky history. Look at Newell from 80 to 88. He he was never lower than a 403 OP on base percentage. And from 81 to 88, never lower than a 429 on base percentage, including a 482 OBP in 1984. 482. After that, uh, Juan Ramos, again, if he's not on your ballot, I don't even know what to say. And Caleb Rosie Rose. That is my Hall of Fame ballot. Dietrich, yeah. you're up. I, uh, Jake just read my ballot. Um, he originally had Hoover and I, I talked him into it, I think, or he was just playing games, but our ballots are identical. Let me say a couple things about some of these guys. Uh, Caleb Rosie Rose, that's the worst nickname in the history of the league. I hate that we gave him that. Uh, and then Gallard is an interesting one. So we started the league in 1980 and it already had a history. So Gallard pitched the inaugural season. He was fantastic in 1980. He won Pitcher of the Year. He was 25 years old, so it's interesting. Like, do you give him bonus points if he started his career at 22? Because he didn't really get a full shot, a full shake. I don't know. There's only a handful of guys like that, but it's something to think about. And I'm I'm excited that we're soon to be done with these guys because yeah. all these guys should be in. There yeah. shouldn't be a fucking much debate here. There's probably 15 guys on the list that should already be in. And then we can start talking about Hangman Hoover and Nate Perdue and Nate Fort, all the guys we know. So it'll, it'll really get fun once we clean this up. But fuck. Joey Thomas. Ugh, we could have oh, that debate, God. too. Yeah, we can have that debate, but let's save that for after guys like Escobar get in. Yep. Uh, my, my ballot is very similar. There's only one uh, difference I have on uh, the aforementioned uh, Jorge Morales. Uh, Escobar, awesome. Gallard, awesome. I will say I have been in the past, both on the pond pod and on slack sort of against closers making it in uh, but this is the first year i've had room on my ballot for alfredo garza and eddie layman and i am going to put them in so even if you're like me and you sort of have mixed feelings about guys who don't pitch as many innings make them the hall i think with guys like garza and layman who are two of the best at least through now two 
relievers in Sky history. Uh, I think it's fair to put the best two closers in Sky history into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and then we can talk about guys like Basinger and Akbar when that time comes. Uh, so let's get them in. Uh, Juan Squirt Molina. Uh, this is one of these guys. Uh, who doesn't rate real well in terms of jaws and stuff. This guy had a 900-plus career OPS. I'm not sure how many guys can say that, but I'm willing to wager it's under five. And Molina deserves to be in. Already talked about Morales, Newell, Ramos, Rosie Rose. I think this is my biggest disappointment of guys who haven't gotten in, who at least had some history, about half of his career was in the human era, was part of those really, really good Vegas Knights teams in the early 2000s, and also part of those really, really good uh, Pittsburgh teams of the early to mid-2000s. So Rose needs to be in. Uh, that's, uh, That's my ballot. I'm going to submit it, make sure it makes it in when I export, and uh, uh, and we'll call it a day here on the pod. Is there anything else, Jake? No. Uh, thank you for, for letting me talk about the Angels for 30 minutes. And to those of you hey. listening, I'm sure you fast-forwarded right through it. Congrats, Jake. D-Rich, anything else? Yeah, one final congrats to Jake. Enjoy that. Savor that. Um, moving we... on. Because now we really do hate you. There's no more yeah. reason left. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. No, there's no, there, like, there's no reason like Dustin anymore. Right, exactly. I, yeah. yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And hey, Mr. guys, this was a special edition podcast for Jake. This isn't our season preview. Don't be pissed if we didn't talk about your team. We're going to still do that Absolutely. before opening day. Absolutely. We're just right, bored then. and hungry. Right, so exactly. If you, you guys tag team this, Trent, you brought us in. d you want to sign us off? Go for it. I think I just did. <laughs> Uh, thanks everybody for listening again, stay tuned for the preseason pod where, uh, it'll be probably a little bit more bombastic and we're going to get to every single team, every single prediction, all of it. Thank you.